Hi, and welcome to Newsreel, usually with Joe and Neil, but this week I'm joined by Pierre. Hello. Pierre is joining us this week because we're going to be discussing the Yellow Vest movement in France. Pierre is French. We oui. Indeed. Indeed. So he seemed like the right person to be asking about what's going on in France. So we're going to be getting into the background. I, I mean, I think we've a lot of questions like the the key one I have is what can explain you know the persistency of this. It's now four months since it's been mid November, so that's four months. We're into month four now. Yesterday just saw Act Twelve. Yeah. So the twelve weeks, twelve weekends in a row of <coughs> major protests. Again, they took place right across France and not just in Paris. Um, We've made a little video, actually. I'm going to get uh, ask Scotty if he will play this now. This is a um, kind of a mashup of stuff that happened around France yesterday during the protests. This is the main venue in Paris where it took place. Do you know the name of that place? Yeah, it's between uh, Bastille and Nation. Place de la République. Uh, Bastille Nation République, between those three places. It's interesting because those three places is not the power center of Paris. You know, it's far away from the houses of the banksters, the CEOs, the senators, the ministers. So the people, the just plebeians, are kept away from the. I just want to point out here of power. the burning EU flag here. Yeah. Very good idea. And uh, there's a second incident of burning the EU flag. This, I was told, um, people who uploaded this video say it's protesters fighting among themselves because no, they were Antifa. It is not true. These are Antifas yeah. fighting uh, against yellow vests. Yeah. Which are two very different movements. And as usual, the police just moved in. Um, and b try to break up the protest. This is still in Paris, the same as before. They just blanket the whole area with uh, tear gas and then start firing at head height at protesters. Yes. And moving in and just picking off people, attacking them. These are all declared protests now. I mean, yes. the LFS have been told they have to, and so they have. So they announce where they're going to be. They have the right papers to be at that place for a certain period of time. Nevertheless, the police show up, and they instigate the violence, essentially. The thing is, uh, now they declare the demonstrations, they are more easily cornered. The police know where they're going to catch them. Exactly, yeah. And you see, uh, declaring the demonstration doesn't uh, reduce the police violence. On the contrary, maybe. They know where they're going to be. Exactly. This is a guy, well, this is a guy, another person shot in the face. Um, yeah. Another hit in the eye. These are some of the other protests sweeping around the country. Yeah. Uh, some big cities, but also small towns. Strasbourg, and I think it's in front of the Palace of Europe. Palais de l'Europe. Symbolic place. Where's Morley? Morley, north. In the north. 
This is also in the north. This is Lille. And finally, this is Saint Quentin. Yeah. Where the protesters were joined, if you like, by firemen who yes. were some of they're supporting the protesters, obviously. So it's not all, certainly by no means, all officials of the state against the protesters. I mean, absolutely, because uh, a lot of pictures are selected by the mainstream media, recorded by the mainstream media, who purposefully choose images of violence in order to frighten the French people not to go in the streets right. and to make them believe that the police is against them. But in the vast majority of cases, the police show signs of solidarity with the demonstrators right. because ultimately they share the same claims. They share the same uh, social despair. They have low wages. They work hard. They see the unfair distribution of wealth and they see the destruction of the nation, their culture. So when I ask you then, who who are the Gilets Jaunes? Can you explain to people? Yeah. Yeah, that's very uh, quite clear. <clears throat> that's a general picture. There are always exceptions. But one, what one can say that you, the Yellow Vest, the vast majority, are people, French people, who are working, who were working, retirees, and um, who struggled to survive despite being productive agents in the countries. Okay, and uh, so that's the social or economical side of it. Now there is also an identity cultural, the nationalist side. Uh, mostly you see white people, uh, white French natives, in the ranks of the yellow vest, because uh, in addition to the social economic uh, claims, there is a claim relating to the the nation, the identity. All right. Okay. And uh, um, that's the profile, typical profile of your uh, uh, yellow vest. Now um, there is also a geographic or demographic specifics. Right. Most yellow vests do not live in cities. Why? Because globalization led to emergence of uh, what we call the city worlds, like Paris, where are concentrated wealth and power. Yeah. Now, as a, a yellow vest with your modest wage or your modest retirement pension, you can afford you cannot afford living in big cities like Paris, also Marseille, or Toulouse. Those places, as people say, have been gentrified. Right. These are places exclusively reserved for the bourgeoisie. All right? So the popular classes, the working classes that traditionally were working and living in cities, because the production tools, the factories were in cities, had to leave to the suburbs, to the peripheral France, but in turn, years later, they had to leave the suburbs because the suburbs were given to migrant populations who became the workers for the factories in uh, 
urban areas. So today, most of those white, working, poor French demonstrators live not in Paris, where they demonstrate because the power is there, because the media are there, but they live in what is called peripheral France, the France that is abandoned, abandoned by the media, abandoned by uh, the public power that doesn't invest there, abandoned by the politicians that don't talk much about uh, peripheral France. For a long time, the official narrative that the problems, the social fracture was between the elites and the suburbs. Right. So the suburbs were flooded with plants, education plants and funding infrastructures, while the peripheral France was forgotten and dying. Okay, and so this would be a process over decades. Oh, yeah. About. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is this is kind of coming to a head now. It's not like, you know, this is like a recent... Obviously, for example, the spark that set off the protest movement was specifically the raising of taxes on um, de on car f on on fuel for transport, uh, obviously yeah. people's cars. Um, yeah, but uh, also there were other factors yeah. as well, but they were primarily economic, so... Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Uh, but uh, let's go back to the first point, taxes... Uh, taxes on fuel. First, it illustrates the previous point about demographics and geography. Most people from the peripheral France, most people from the working class, basically, have to drive in order to go to their job. Why? Because they've been chased away from the cities by the gentrification. They've been chased from the suburbs by the mi mass migration waves. So they have to drive a lot. So they're the ones who have to pay to work. They're the ones the one who are affected deeply by those taxes. Plus, those taxes are very unfair. Unfair because everybody, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, you have to pay the same amount of tax. Mm -hmm. Except when you're rich, if you travel with a private jet, you fill the tank with kerosene, and kerosene is free of tax. Okay. But when you're poor, you fill your tank with diesel, and in diesel, 80% of the price is taxes. In France, compared to the US, for example, in France, one liter of diesel is one and a half euros, which is about 1.6, 1 1.7. For a gallon, it means about six yeah, six dollars a gallon mm. or seven. Yeah, and there's a lot more related to that. I mean, this week the government announced that um, there would be increases. I know it's the government announcing this. The newspapers announced that, obviously, I suppose on behalf of the private companies that now run France's highways, that they would be increasing the toll fees on the motorways across France. Well, it, that, that's the old. Uh, it. It's part of a more systematic process where basically you pre privatize profits and you nationalize debts. The French highway system was the most efficient one in the world. Built by the state, initiated by the goal, part of the great program of national infrastructure to improve the efficiency of the country. So it's us. 
French taxpayers, French workers, that paid for this program. And once the program was developed, when the, once the investment phase was done, it was sold for cheap to big private companies to reap the profits. And now they unilaterally increasing the fares and the yellow vests are totally aware of that. The media don't talk so much about that, that but it totally burned to the ground two toll stations. One near Bandol, another one near Montpellier, I think. Uh, and in addition, there were many that were occupied. Yeah. And, and still are being um, on some weekends. Um, I should add that in this media report, French media report, I saw announcing increases in, in the tolls to travel. They had a side story right next to it, <laughs> letting people know that um, the profits of the companies running the highways now I've never been better. They're, they're at record levels. So the financial health of the companies is superb, we are telling you, and you're going to pay more. Yeah, it's a good summary of the situation and the economic causes for the current Yellow Vest movement. <clears throat> Not only you have a working class that is working more and more and making less and less money and paying more and more taxes, but at the same time you have the fringe minority that benefits from globalization and there are some people who benefit from globalization that are mostly living in cities and uh, who keep seeing their revenues increasing you see so the the wealth inequality keeps increasing yeah this is the basic point i'm getting um from discussions we've had before now and and now also um it strikes me that when it comes to looking at the basic indicators of how healthy or not an economy is, the figures are whatever it is, GDP growth per year or the unemployment rate or increases or not in salaries, they are an aggregated national figures. Yeah. But the key issue that's being overlooked is that there's differential. Of course. What incredible difference within any given country. So there can be indeed low inflation on the whole, but look closer and it's not the same story at all. Of course, in uh, psychology uh, papers show that what is in most important for people is not so much their absolute revenue, it's how much they make compared to other and this feeling of fairness. Uh, now, to go back to GDP or GDP per capita, it doesn't tell you much about the individual situation of uh, people. And that's what matters in the end. Yeah. A country, the revenue of a country doesn't mean anything on a human level. Say the, the French GDP, about 1,500 billion. Imagine I get all the money. You know, I'm a kind of dictator, I get all the money. And the rest of the population, 65 million, gets zero. Yeah. Is French rich? Is French poor? Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. The, Even GDP per capita, that is about 40,000 euros in France in 20, uh, 2018, it doesn't mean anything. It's an average. Uh, average, uh, you need a vari variance to see how the top tier, the bottom tier, how this revenue is spread. Yeah. Even when you look at it in aggregate, um, I saw a figure recently. It was uh, a chart, like a graph 
showing that um, OECD nations, so I think that's largely Western nations, even in aggregate, the real, um, real wages adjusted for price inflation and other things has been decreasing for everyone since the 1970s. Uh, not exactly. Except for yes. one percentile. Exactly. A tiny one at the very top. Well, this isn't even the one percent. This is like the, the point, point one. zero five. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it is true. Here you're saying uh, your purchase power depends on two factors. How much money you make, your wage, for example, and how much was the price of the goods you purchase. If your wage increase 5% a year, meanwhile there's high inflation and the products you buy increase by 10%, your purchase power drops 10 minus 5 equals 5, drops 5% a year. Okay, so indeed, for the popular classes and middle classes in uh, OECD countries, uh, what we call the PPP, or inflation adjusted uh, uh, the purchase power, GDP, is decreasing. And that's a manipulation, one more manipulation, what some economists who are the finally the beach of the system, try to make you believe that because your wage is increasing maybe 1% a year, you're getting richer. Right. Did you just say economists who are the bitch of the system? Yes. Okay. Just that. Yes, they are indeed, because they're selling like an incredible story that has little bearing on reality for most people, what you call the popular classes in yeah, France. But they are right. I mean, I understand their behavior. It should be a mistake to think that only 0.1 or 1% of the population in France benefits from globalization. Okay. The about 20% of the individuals who voted for Macron in their majority benefited from globalization. Those people who live in city, who are lawyers, consultants, works in the service industry, bankers, they do benefit from globalization. Their income does increase. Right. Their quality of life does increase. They're not stupid. Yeah. So those journalists, those so-called experts, those so-called philosophers, do defend their privileges. Okay. And then their behavior and lies from this perspective is understandable. Right. Okay. You 20% is an interesting figure because that's roughly what even mainstream polls in France are saying is the division of support for or against the yellow vest, 80 to 20%. It's going up and down a little, and it depends on the poll, of course. Yeah. But that's their own um, polls, which is we've seen in the past in other situations, the polls would nearly always try to scientifically adjust them in quotes to obviously show a favorable result for the establishment. But even their own polls have this kind of 80-20 split. And that's the old mark of um, the neoliberal uh, driven or the liberal globalization. Where you have about one in four, uh, four out of five that loses in the game and then one in five that wins. Yeah. Those, so there is a, a concentration, it's almost mechanical, it's structural, a concentration of wealth and privileges in the hand of the top 20%. But within this top 20%, indeed, you have 19 point something lackeys, uh, they're called the bitches of the system, and you have the ultimate winners, 
we, which can see their wealth growing by three figures percentages uh, each year, you know, right. billions and billions more. Okay. So this would account for, last week we saw the emergence of really the first counter-protests um, being called Les Foulards Rouges, which translate to the Red Scarves. They donned red scarves. Now, officially, they got on the streets and they protested. They said that they were there to defend the Republic. They were for democracy and they were against the violence, specifically directed at police, they said. But this is probably, given what you've just said, this is probably a kind of a rationale they've come up with where really what they're out there doing is defending their privileges yeah. because yeah. They, they don't see that other world. They, they don't experience, they don't have any tangible connection with the world where they're suffering. Like those, most people. those same people totally agree with violence against uh, Trump, uh -huh. Putin, Gaddafi, Bashar al-Assad. So violence is not what matters here. It's what does violence serve? If it serves a cause that seems fair to them, topping Bashar al-Assad, killing uh, the evil dictator, so-called evil dictator uh, in Libya, uh, bashing Trump, uh, Trump or Putin, that's okay. That's justified. But violence against what they call the police, the republic, and actually most of the violence is the republic against the people, or whatever, uh, they don't accept this violence because this violence do not serve their interests. Right. What do you think of the idea I read put forward by a, a British journalist but resident in France and observing and reporting on the protests in, especially around late November and early December, the kind of Act 3 and Act 4 stage this was the point where the, the, the craziest scenes from Paris were on the Place de l'Etoile with the Arc de Triomphe and just incredible pitched battles between the LFS protesters and the police. He reported, this guy, that um, several thousand of the protesters were just out there smashing things up, essentially. They were the most militant in pushing back against the police um, his comment on it was that um, what we were looking at here was way beyond a protest against fuel, fuel um, and tax hikes, but that it was an insurrection. He described what he yeah. saw as an insurrection. He's also said that he overheard, or maybe he also spoke with, a number of these people who said explicitly that they were up from the country going to Paris to do what they did. Now, I'm bringing it up because I think it supports the premise that this is largely essentially a urban versus peripheral France, yeah. a standoff. Um, now, he obviously, he was trying to, he, or he would have had in his mind that um, he didn't like what he saw and this was just violent and he would have been, therefore, against whatever reasons these people had for doing it. Um, the violence... Um is everywhere. First, we have to emphasize that a lot of violence attributed to the yellow vests is actually initiated by the black blocs in the Antifa, extreme yeah. left. 
that actually are useful idiots in the hands of Macron and uh, uh, the oligarchs, the oligarchy, because they destroy, they attack police forces, and they give an excuse to the police forces to attack, in turn, the demonstrators. So uh, most violence should be attributed to where it belongs, the black blocs, who never get arrested, or rarely get arrested. Now, some people, Yellow Vest, get violent, yeah. Violence is part of uh, the human nature. Anger is part of the human nature. When you work for years, a lot, and you have barely enough to feed your kids, to give a decent housing to your kids, yeah, after a while you get angry, especially when you see where the fruit of your labor goes, amongst other places in Paris. Yeah. Um, one of the slogans that they use a lot is on ne lâche rien. Yeah. What does that mean? I think it literally means uh, we don't drop anything. We won't back down. We won't back down and I think it conveys something deeper is that uh, the feeling, the sentiment of despair and anger is so strong in a lot of, uh, in some yellow vests that they're ready to go uh, all the way. All the way. Why? Because there's nothing to lose. You have some of those people, they work. They are homeless. They work. They have to, on the 15th of the month, they don't have money to buy food. What do they have to lose? Yeah, that was that reminds me of another early slogan in the initial acts of, of the movement where they said Macron's talking about the end of the world in reference to global warming and a disaster scenario. And if we don't do something to save the planet now, we're all doomed at some point in the distant future. And their counterpoint was, you're talking about the end of the world. We can't get to the end of the month. Exactly. Even even employed people, even people who are together with their salary do have some other support from the state. But there are all these hidden taxes compounding and uh, hidden by hidden. I mean, they're not actual like taxes taken out of a paycheck, but they're taxes or charges placed on um, compulsory stages, the compulsory things they must do, compulsory things they must buy. One ex the clearest example of which is the yellow vest itself, which is a remarkable symbol. The yellow vest, of course, was um, by law decreed under the Sarkozy government that every vehicle in France must have a yellow vest for emergencies. So you would think, okay, everyone has to have one. Well, maybe I'm going to be sent one from the local authority. No, everyone had to purchase one themselves. Yeah. That's one small charge, but there are a thousand charges and they increase all the time. Yes, and uh, we finally reached the straw that broke the camel back. Right. This tax on fuel. But uh, invoking global warming in the end of the world is a scam. It is double scam on a social economic level and on societal level. Because in the narrative of the elites, is what justifies raising the taxes on diesel, you see? These are the plebeians who pollute and destroy the planet with their evil diesel. That's what the elites stay while uh, traveling in private jets that are thousands of times more polluting. 
That's what the same oligarchs say while living in lavish villas that destroy way more the planet and consume the resources. The yellow vest who lives on 700 euros a month and has a, a barbecue maybe in the weekend in his backyard, if he has a backyard, he's not the one on polluting. He's not rich enough to pollute. Yeah. You know? So there's a scam on an economic level, this global warming. But it's also a scam also societal uh, on a demographics level because it justifies, allegedly, the mass inflow of migrants. And those two topics, identity, migration, and economics are related. The cost of migrants in France every year is about 20 billion euros. Be aware that today in France, if you're a migrant, you have more rights, you have more support, you have more infrastructure, you have more money, you have more help, that if you are a homeless, white, native, Frenchy. Yeah. So, although it's conducted in the name of equality, you know, human rights, we all equal universalism. Today, the migrants have more rights than the natives. Where's the equality? Right. Yeah, and this is obviously not touched with a 10-foot barge pole in the French media normally, but there was an interesting situation a few weeks ago where <clears throat> Macron, as part of his Grand Debat, his national debate, um, which, I, well, what's your opinion on this on this great debate that he's, he's launched his program to consult the people? It's a masquerade. Right. It's a masquerade. First, he didn't consult the people. He selected mayors that were conciliatory, that were understanding, that were on his side. And then he went for these endless monologues. But it's not binding. It's not a contract. He has no legal value. It's a, it just wind. You just right. make believe. Make believe that the, the yellow vests are being heard. Yeah. They're not being heard. It was not even there. Yeah. There was one mayor, though, who spoke out of, yeah. a, of a mid-sized city. And she basically pointed out what you just said regarding the different treatment by the state between native French and migrants. And basically, she's talking about the level of resources available to newly arrived. They're not yet even citizens compared with people who are born French. Um, she was, of course, roundly attacked in the media. But it's like, why even bother if everyone knows it? What happened to this national debate you're going to have if when she gets up to point out what everyone knows, <laughs> she gets attacked? I'm told to sit down and be quiet. Yeah, and uh, be careful when you hear so-called representatives of a yellow vest invited in mainstream media. The mainstream media do select, and that sometimes they even create, the so-called representatives that hold a very specific discourse. That is the extreme left discourse centered on a class struggle, yeah, a Marxist vision of the world. That has some truth, but it's not uh, the old picture. What is specific in the Yellow Vest movement is that it meshes together the best of the right and the best of the left. That is, the best of the left, let's call it social justice, social equality, yeah, wealth distribution, and the best of the right, let's call it morality values. While Macron embodies the worst of the left and the worst of the right. The worst of the right is the economic right, neoliberalism, in growing inequalities, and the worst of the left, that's the 
LGBT minorities uh, craziness. The okay? multicultural yeah. ideology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The destruction of identity, values, basically. The very nihilist, postmodernist uh, uh, yeah. vision uh, of the world and societies. That compels them to make statements like, there's no such thing as French culture. Yes, there are cultures in France. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. Uh, and it is a lie that is false. France is one of the oldest countries, oldest nations in Europe, is centuries old, 1,000 years old, and it, is, it has a very specific culture that is very much related to Christianism. Indeed. That's history, that's reality. Whether you're an atheist or you're a believer, I'm talking about culture and history here, I'm not talking about religion. Mm -hmm. So, and what the power to be uh, the elites are very afraid of today is a convergence between the extreme left, social uh, wage equality and tax equality, say, and the extreme right, identity, nationalism, control of the borders. They don't want this convergence to happen like it just happened in Italy. Indeed. So they try to focus on the less harmful of those two discourses, that is, the extreme left discourses. Right, reduce our tax, increase our wage, and we shut up. Um, we well, see. We see if it works. Um, we see. Yeah. Um, speaking of Italy, the Italian guy. I, I think it's interesting that in the face of just two or three days last week, first the Italian leader of the left party that made it in, Luigi Di Maio, criticized. French foreign policy as being a causal factor in the migration waves coming from North Africa. He was specifically he called it colonization or neo-colonialism, mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. French um, government's mm -hmm. engagement with North Africa. Two days later, and, and he, specifically, he was saying this because this was this is at the root of these migration waves coming up from North Africa across the Mediterranean, affecting obviously Italy as well as France. Two days later, Luigi Di Maio criticized him from, um, sorry, his, the, the other guy who's the um, interior minister in Italy, the leader of the right party that formed a government, um, Di Matteo. Yeah, La Liga. Uh, criticized Macron's government from the right. Obviously, it's the multicultural embrace of the migrant waves that yeah. they're also causing. So one attacked of the course. cause and one attacked this a crazy solution to the issue that's destroying um, identity and economy. Of course, it goes in and here and at, a, at some level, at the financial level, uh, you have the same representative of the elites that support wars in countries like Syria, Libya, which trigger massive flows of migrants. Do same elites welcome and want those migrants, which in turn manage to drive the wages down. More potential workers, more demand, same supply, wages go down. Yeah. You know, it goes in the end. And You're talking, we're talking now about relatively recent migrant waves, obviously from the Syrian war, the Libyan war. But you made a reference earlier to migration waves explaining over the last... 40, 50 years, how, how the map of France has changed. 
do you, do you make a distinction between the two, or can you can you link these two things together? In France, First France has a long history of successful integrated migration. It started in 1860, okay. and since then you have had migrations nonstop. Uh, it changed it a bit in 1945. France had to be rebuilt. A lot of people died, so we need France needed workforce, and a lot of uh, young single males from North Africa, colonies, came to France to work, to rebuild the country. I thought that was government policy, to, yes. to attract them. And it's called a labor migration. Yep. It's for labor, the migration occurs. Those young males, what did they do? They worked in France. They met French native women. They got kids. They become French. They became more French than French themselves okay. because they know the price of becoming member of a nation, citizen of a nation. They know what it means because they had to earn it. Now, in the 70s, the law changed and there was this uh, family grouping that came uh, into uh, action that was applied. And it was not single males that, was that were migrating. These were all families. And the number started to increase. It means it's way more difficult to integrate a family that doesn't have to interact much with the rest of society than to integrate a single working individual. Yeah. Um, and then there was the still increase of figures during the past years and the focus, uh, um, concentration of this population in suburbs, which was terrible for the natives because historically that's where the work, working class were uh, living and they loved those places. And it was terrible for integration because uh, it's more difficult to integrate foreign populations that, that when they are concentrated in the same place. There's not many interactions with the natives, the culture, the language, the history. They will na naturally move to areas and therefore be closely related through employment, um, through shared cultural backgrounds, etc. They'll move to areas where there are people like me. What do you mean? Well, the people arriving, if they're arriving in large in larger number, like as a family unit, yeah. they're going to stick together. Yeah. If they if there's a familiar family unit like them, yeah, they will of course stay together still, and so on, and it attracts more people. Um, this has been shown in in countless studies that people, no matter who they are, even even white people in New York, in the classically liberal Democrat voting parts of the city. They will, they'll have their reasons for why they move, that they, they, they will never, they will never want to be seen as racist, of course, right? But they will move if there's a certain tipping point where there's not enough people like me in my area. And so then peoples, whether they're native or newly arrived or a couple of generations old in their new host country, and now consider themselves a native, a, a citizen of that country, they will naturally start to divide themselves into places where they're with like people, whether it's uh, of the same background, racially, <clears throat> religiously, etc. Yeah, I don't think uh, we have necessarily to invoke racism to explain those uh, behaviors. 
those natives who left the suburbs liked the suburbs. That's where they were born. That's where they had their memories. Uh, but you, when you hear testimonies from those people, they say that it doesn't feel like France anymore. It doesn't feel like I'm living in France anymore. And uh, so it's not a value judgment. It's right. not that it's better or it's worse. But it's just not who they are. So they moved to a peripheral France, to the countryside, to the small towns, to the forgotten and neglected France. Yeah. I'm afraid that the... And uh, the, maybe one point, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, one point, in there is a myth that in the suburbs there's no economic future. That is not true. I mean, that is not true. That is less true than it is for peripheral France. In the suburbs, you're close to the power, you're close to the money. You're close. There are jobs when you're in the suburbs because you're close to the cities. So there's, to some extent, there's a potential for social climbing up the social ladder mm -hmm. okay you don't have that in peripheral france so sure there are no gozons in uh, french suburbs around big cities i witnessed that directly there are no gozons there are areas that are controlled by some kind of uh, uh, northern african mafia mm -hmm. where most of the economy is based off illegal drug, tra drug trafficking mm -hmm. But most of the suburbs is not that. Most of the suburbs is typically the Northern Africa, young guy who works for Amazon and does the delivery. Hard job, difficult job, huh? working all day long. Yeah. You were in Paris recently and yeah. you said you were struck by, by how well the city is doing, the parts that you saw anyway. Uh, city is uh, Paris is called the most beautiful city in the world. Is it only French people say that? Maybe it's a <laughs> chauvinistic. No, I think I think people. Would, I think that's. I think that's certainly like what historically it's been associated yeah. with. Yeah. Okay, we'll but give you that. Th there might be some objective reasons for that, and uh, one objective reason is uh, because indeed it is very beautiful, and to make a beautiful city, I mean, it doesn't rise pop out from the ground spontaneously. It means there's been billion generation, wealth, ideas, work to create those marvels. Um, France is a very centralized country and Paris does concentrate about one third of the population, most of the population in the suburbs. You have uh, one or two million people living in Paris. That's not, not much. Eh? The in very Paris privileged. Yeah. yeah. The bobo. Bourgeois bohème, you know, the one, uh, they drink smoothie, they eat vegetarian, they moved on electric, uh, and you see them, the result on them, you know, they do, don't do much, they don't eat real meat, they do do real activities, uh, so they the small wrist and they all around and a bit flobby, you know. <laughs> yes. Uh, these are the, the Parisians. And uh, around them, there is a kind of uh, the, the servers, you know, the one who bring the... Uh, food at home, the sushi eh? and the smoothies. Uh, they live in the suburbs. And uh, so you have a small population there. Yeah. Two million in Paris, 15 million in suburb, one quarter, one third of the population in uh, urban Paris, the one who make Paris work, eh? uh, who run Paris. 
the workforce and uh, but you have half the wealth with uh, generated and consumed in Paris yeah very strong concentration of wealth and, uh, and it includes a lot of social investment of course but it's, it's target areas right so it's of course it's not just that it's certain cities but certain parts of the cities of course um, the streets look fabulous, the people are doing well, everyone's happy. So there's a reality to it. It's not all a mirage, but the mirage, it, it does become a mirage when it's looked at, at at the national level. It's a reality, and you have basically, in terms of globalization in a developed country, about 20% who get wealthier on the back at the expense of 80%. This is very unfair. Uh, but it leads to uh, beautiful results, i.e. the concentration of wealth and therefore beautiful uh, architecture in cities. It is a, it is a reality. Yeah. I think it's... Um... Uh, just one point. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to emphasize that during gentrification, there is a concentration of public funds in cities. Because let's think about it. Now there's a budget, uh, I don't know, for swimming pools. Will we get a swimming pool here? Yeah, for the listeners of viewers, we live in southwest in the middle of nowhere. We won't get anything. The only thing I got is a nuclear plant, you know? Mm -hmm. So if it explodes, we die. That's our only privilege. If there are budgets for swimming pools, who is going to decide? Senators? Right. Uh, congressmen? Where do they live? Do they live here? No. Do you know a senator li lives here? Yeah, or ministers? They live, the, the, all the political power, economic power, financial power is media power. Everything is in, in Paris. That's why the Yellow Vest demonstrate in Paris. Because the message is for, is for those people, for those elites. And when those elites meet with each other in those beautiful salons, they put money for the project that's of their interest. And the suburbs, so they stop burning cars. Right. Um, in sometime in December, there were various um, yellow vest protests that took place in other countries. I'm um, thinking specifically of those in the Anglo-Saxon world. Now they were partly in sympathy with the French protesters, but um, I noticed a statement from the organizer of one that took place in Canada, and. In his interview with Canadian media, he made a point of distancing himself and therefore the cause for why they were protesting from the French by saying, well, no, ours, our reasons for doing this are different. Over there, they're, they're too socialistic. Here, our concern is the destruction of our industry. Most of these people were from... Um, they were families of people who work in Canada's oil industry, so in the heartland, the interior provinces of Canada. That was one issue. The destruction of our national industry, a key one to us. And the other one was mass migration. Yeah, Somehow, yeah. in the translation of what was going on in France, to his mind, what he was picking up, he had been told that this is the two core issues in France were not the same as in Canada. But they essentially are. Yeah, the, the, I mean, we're talking uh, about the same core problem. Right? Let's call it globalization on a cultural level and on a 
economic level. And the consequences in all the countries are similar, depending on the national context, national history, but you're going to have a destruction of public services, if there is any. So maybe it's already been destroyed. You're going to have a growing disbalance in wealth distribution, and you're going to have a, the rise of the multicultural uh, paradigm, mass migration and uh, destruction of uh, national tradition, national identity. In Canada, maybe there's not so much public service, or I don't know, uh, uh, maybe the disindustrialization is still going on in Canada. In France, it's already done. They right. destroyed all the industries. But uh, disindustrialization is one of the hallmarks of globalization. Right. Globalization, open the borders, no more borders, no more protection. You transfer, I mean, shareholders, cosmopolite, individuals, 0% decide to relocate industries, factories, where it's the cheapest because the tens of million, obviously not enough. And they want more, and there was more, and more greed. Right. And more suffering for the people who see the industries disappearing or see their social benefits disappearing, or see their identity disappearing, the district where they were living disappearing. Yeah. That was actually one of the things on the... There have been various lists of demands that the LFS made, but one that was being shared around specifically said the reintroduction of manufacturing in France. This is alluding to the fact that globalization has created a kind of um, major emphasis on servicing jobs uh, across the West, where in the in the, the extreme case in the United States, eighty five percent of all yeah. employment is in services industries. Well, <clears throat> it's not so. It's eighty five percent of total labor. So, so this eighty five percent is relative and has to be explained in light of the collapse of industrial jobs. Yeah. So both phenomena happen, both phenomena happen uh, concomitantly. Destruction of industry, which is not really a destruction, it is transfer, geographical transfer, to countries where workforce is cheaper, Southeast Asia, Latin America, basically. And at the same time, an increase in services that is very much related to the raise of this bourgeoisie class in the cities that benefit from globalization, that benefit from moving the factories away, to increase their resources and consume. And consume what? Those kind of services. In the morning, yoga class. In the, in the afternoon, going to uh, Pilates or getting a massage, yeah. you know, uh, Asian-style uh, Asian massage with hot stones and then going to a vegetarian restaurant. And uh, you see this kind of uh, cultural leisures yeah. of entertainment, you know, the Netflix, the home food. And so they're, they're working on the backs of the, 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 the largest sections of most French people. Um, and in addition, the people manufacturing things, uh, extracting things in foreign countries. So there's, there's, there's yellow vests in France, but the yellow vests are joined then, so to speak, by 
the people in the other parts of the world where the industry has been moved to, they're all working to essentially serve a few cities yeah. in France and then across the, the Western world. You, you, the term you used before was, was world cities. Yeah. So yeah. these, yeah. I've, I've heard that I've heard this term used before um, many places. I mean, it's, it's been discussed yeah, up, up the wazoo in academia that this is, and this is the outcome of globalization. It, it's been deliberately encouraged, of course. There was one context in which I heard that, in hindsight, stands out to me. Um, when Trump was elected, there was a high-profile British journalist, a columnist for The Guardian, yeah. who went out of his way to say what the Trump election was not. And he basically described what you've just said that this is not a clash of people in the rural periphery against those in the cities, the cosmopolitan elite. It was a strange way because he, he introduced to me or reminded me of, of this very concept while telling me that this is, this is not what you are seeing. He was protesting too much. Yeah, protesting <laughs> too much. The, the ones who voted and who support Trump in the US are the yellow vest. Are yellow vest. Right. It's very similar socially, societ and in social societal terms as well. Now, a mistake is uh, to use the uh, Marxist analysis, and uh, which tricked us many times by opposing artificially the small businessmen, small business owners, independent workers against blue collars. And what you see, and the bourgeoisie is very afraid of this uh, alliance between the small business owners, artisan, independent workers, and blue collars. Because together, this is the working class, the true working class. And um, today, the yellow vests are creating, are embodying this alliance. The artisan, you know, the, the plumber uh, who lives in a small town in Spirit France, the blue collar who lives in one of the few industries that, that are left, they're socially the same. They're socially facing the same condition, right. the same uh, oppression, shall we say, or at least uh, injustice. Yeah. It, it strikes me that the, the reason for the LFS movement at all is because this, more or less, this unification of views, this, this recognition among people has taken place. Yeah, yeah. The, there's, those yellow vests have transcended several artificially made separation. They've transcended the horrific and so destructive illusion of right versus left right. by taking the best of the right values and best of the left work and uh, uh, distribution of wealth. And that transcended another uh, artificial duality, this uh, boss versus worker, and recognize the problem is not the boss. 80% of the boss in France have boss of SMEs. They're independent workers. They don't make much money. Uh, they face a lot of incertitude, uncertainty. They pay a lot of taxes. The problem is the big bosses, big banks, multinational companies. They're the ones who pay no taxes. The small independent workers, they pay 
so much taxes, it's insane. And that's why most of them go belly up. Right. And this is, this is hence the duration and the persistency of both the state in its crackdown on the protests and the protesters in, in getting out week after week in a harsh, fairly, fairly harsh and miserable winter to protest. Yeah. It's it's and so would it be fair to say it's formed, formed or revealed the real division, the real uh, opposition. Yeah. <clears throat> First, let's say that uh, <clears throat> the republic is doing what is does very well, defending the privileges of whom it stands for. Yeah. Okay. The Republic is very bad at developing a country, or defending a nation, of protecting a people. They're very good at defending the privilege of the small clique that make the Republic. Okay, so they're doing that now, and they're very good at that. Yeah, because they're motivated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, the way they do it, as usual, is lies and violence. Lies, demonizing the movement, the Universe. Stupid, redneck, racist, anti-Semitic, lazy, violent. Did I say that? Maybe. Uh, the demonizing through the media that are just a one department of the oligarchy. Mm -hmm. They're all in Paris, they're all in cities, they have way above average revenues and they, they benefit from globalization. And uh, so, lying and violence. Mm -hmm. Violence through the police. Yeah. The police that is really between two stools. The police that is paid by elite mm -hmm. and they know that and they want to keep their job. They don't make a lot of money to feed the kids. And at the same time, they hear the orders. They hear that they have to beat those people. Those people who are their friends, who are the same as them. Mm -hmm. Miserable wage, struggling to reach the end of the month, struggling to feed the kids. Uh, so that's really a dilemma. So when Macron is saying we must defend the institutions yeah. from the attacks by these militants, that's more or less a direct quote. In a sense, he is telling the truth. Yeah. Yes, the true. caveat being we must defend the institutions which we have captured yeah. from the popular classes, from the people. Yeah. That's it in a nutshell. He's, he's but, hoping in saying that that people will rally to his side, but all he's going to rally are from among those 20% who recognize what he's saying. Yeah. Because yes, whether they realize or not, yes, we, we must defend the institution because we have captured them. They work yeah. in our favor. Since the inception of the Republic, since the French Revolution, the French Revolution depicted a spontaneous revolution is not is a transfer of privilege from one class, nobility, clergy, to another class, a rising bourgeoisie. Yeah. That still holds these privileges, still hold this power today. And they don't want to drop it. And I understand that. Isn't it it's remarkable that the French Revolution, in essence, or correct me if I'm wrong, in essence, was about overthrowing a corrupt bourgeoisie slash aristocracy elite 
Not and making a more egalitarian form of society. And we have come all the way around to a situation where, despite all of the, um, well, by now, the dogmas of the way France is set up institution-wise, its laws, um, is in the name of preventing exactly that situation. Nevertheless, that situation has re-emerged in reality, although not. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you say, and uh, we could apply it to the current violence. The bourgeoisie that already uh, that currently holds the power got this power from the revolution. The revolution was a violent act, and they praised this violence. Mm -hmm. So when the violence served their interest, they were very much for this violence. When this violence threatened their privileges. They're very much against this violence. But make no mistake, huh? there's an official story for the French Revolution. There's reality. The reality is that it was engineered, it was manufactured. The price of the wheat, was, which was a trigger factor, was deliberately, consciously manipulated, speculated, high up. They created shortages artificially. They blocked the bots bringing wheat to Paris, they created a starvation, and then they, they hystericized the starving crowd. Mm -hmm. Okay? All that was uh, orchestrated by a bourgeoisie, raising bourgeoisie, that was very much in bed with Jansenism, a unhealthy form of Protestantism, that was very much in bed with some uh, lodges, Freemason lodges, mostly the one in Port Royal, and they saw this, this clique that engineered revolution and became the winner of the revolution. That's mind-bending. So you're saying that it's essentially the France as it functions today was based on a lie. Yes, but... But... Pretty much, you're right, but... Nonetheless, in the mind of the plebeians, they do believe, most of them, the official narrative. The rights they do of believe man. that the plebeian can rise for liberté, égalité, fraternité. Mm -hmm. And this, are, this is a symbol. You know, nations, cultures are built upon lies. We call it myth, myths. Myths, yeah. And symbols. And that it is very powerful in the collective unconscious. Right. So whether true or wrong on a symbolic level, it doesn't matter so much. Frenchies have been grown, infused with this idea of popular rising. And today, that is one of the fuel that helped the Yellow Vest movement grow and uh, maintain his, uh, his pace. Yeah. Okay. Among the many things I've seen in terms of articulating what they would like are banners at the at the, the head of marches and protests saying we want a new republic another probably the one i see the most is the initials RIC yeah what is the demand the demands are quite heterogeneous De facto, because the Yellow Vest movement is a spontaneous movement. There's no leader. 
there's not a uh, a leader that raised troops and said, let's go there and let's do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, heterogeneous. That's the strength and the weakness of the movement. That's the strength because a movement with a leader is way more difficult to serve, to infiltrate and subvert. There's no head. Uh, that's a weakness too because uh, if one day we reach the end of the insurrection phase and the change in power, effective change, uh, the question will be, okay, now we got rid of the old power, where do we go now? And the uh, future will tell. Um, you mentioned the RIC, R-I-C. Yeah. It means Referendum d'Initiative Citoyenne. Uh, Citizen-initiated referendum, yeah. something like that. Um, is the idea <coughs> that a representative democracy is a scam. Representative democracy, when the people doesn't exert power directly. Yeah. Democracy, eh? Demoskratos, power to the people. Representative democracy is not a democracy. Representative democracy today in France is you vote, whatever you vote, it doesn't change anymore. It will be a candidate of the system and will be elected mm-hmm. and it will implement a policy for the oligarchy and you're going to pay for it. Yeah. Whatever you vote, it doesn't work. For the people, it works very well. For the eight, so people want to circumvent this issue by implementing a direct consultations referendum. These are people who directly vote for that law, on this law, or that change, or this change. Yeah, but we could say that a referendum is a mean; it's on an end. A referendum is a mean to implement a vision. The society, this ideal society of the future you envision. You know? But what the point of voting for this or for that? What the point of turning here right or left if you don't know what you ultimately where you want to go? So if this movement wants to be really constructive, it will have to structure itself. Form a political party. Uh, yeah, and I was, I'm not saying it's not structured at all because the individuals are structured. And maybe one of the reasons why the Yellow Vest movement is so pregnant here in France and uh, less developed in other countries, I think is because the Frenchies, you know Descartes, I think, therefore I am. The mm-hmm. Frenchies still, despite all, they think for the best and for the worse. Huh? Yeah. Uh, in this case, it's rather for the best. And uh, here we have to give credit or to notice, at least to be aware that in France, the dissidents have had thinkers and li- opinion leaders, the Soral, Dieudonné, um, and many others. It's a long list. Yeah. People who for years, people, deep thinkers, yeah. philosophers, experts, who for years have been pointing at the reality of the oral, or what uh, some people call the republic or the democracy. And those people are very popular, those leaders, those opinion leaders, those thinkers are very popular and have educated a whole generation. Right. And uh, what is turning, although the level of structuration of the Euro Vest uh, is almost zero, the level of education, of aware, political awareness of those people is very impressive. Yes. They see what is going on. Yes, and that's despite the same kind of media saturation 
um, that misinforms people as anywhere else in the West yeah. all these years. That's what struck me about when Macron declared that, okay, now we will begin a great national debate. I was like, I'm sorry, but the horse has already bolted. You don't understand that French people have spent the last, let's say the whole internet age, talking to each other, using the internet, educating themselves. They've already done their homework. That's why they're out on the streets. This is the culmination of the thinking and reflection and the paying attention to what's going on from before. So you're not going to be able to come in with a debate now, a structured debate on anything that they won't agree with you. Well, it's trying. He has to try. Yeah. He has to try. He can try the threats. We put you in jail. There was a, a yellow vest who was sentenced to four months in jail for throwing a, a soft box of pate on the on the policeman yeah the policeman kill and injure massively so far 12 people dies 12 plebeians french yeah. plebeians died during demonstration 400 suffered uh, severe injuries yeah Tw uh, 18 lost an eye about 20 lost a hand and uh, 4,000 were injured, not severely injured, yeah. more lately. Um, so he's trying. He's trying the threat, the violence. Mm -hmm. He's trying, uh, okay, let's negotiate. He's trying to give a, a bit as well. Remember the 40 euros? That was an insult, actually, but uh, uh, he was attempt to move in the right direction and give a bit, give a bond to chew to the people, you know. 40 euros... Uh, and uh, this end of the year uh, premium. So there are various, and now the attempt to, at the uh, same apparent discussion, I'm going to listen to you. Um, so it's trying to stop this movement. Do you think it will work or the combination of threats and the carrot and the stick, as we say in English, will that work or is the only... The only solution to this, the, basically the essential protesters' demand, either in the form of the RIC or a new kind of assembly, that's one other idea that I heard floated, like a people's assembly. Yeah. And, uh, Ironically, that's exactly what kicked off international condemnation of Venezuela for establishing a new form of assembly in which there would be a lot more direct democracy rather than representative democracy, which is... I think I think the two are issues are related. I think essentially the people in France are demanding what Venezuela's trying to implement in the face of incredible economic difficulties and siege mentality from abroad. Um you ask your question, first question was is it going to work? Where is it going? Yeah. I don't know. Um what I can say it depends what you mean by working or success. I would say a fundamental change in people's ability to redress their grievances and to change either the constitution or laws or yeah I would because say um at some level in terms of awareness I think a major step in the right direction has been made I think the French people have become aware of a lot what is of what is going on um they read over the past years a lot about this topic yeah but now they've seen the proof each time macron police beats someone 
they get more proof yeah. that we are not in democracy, that the republic is an illusion, that we live in a ruthless oligarchy that has only contempt for the plebeians. So, in terms of awareness, I think it's already a success, even, even if it stops today. And it's awareness, nothing can remove it. Yeah. Now, uh, in more material terms, where is it going to go? I think it's difficult to say. There's so many possibilities. Yeah. Uh, one possibility, I, I can give you the possible scenarios. Uh, one possibility is a subversion of the movement, particularly by some uh, extreme left leaders. Would that be the bad thing? Uh, I'm not sure. That would be less bad than a Macron regime, I think. You can have a sacred union between extreme right leader, extreme left leader. That would be difficult because today in France, Marine Le Pen, extreme right, is controlled by Israel. And uh, Mélenchon, extreme left leader, is a, is a Freemason for high-level Freemason for decades, so he's controlled by the lodges. So those big powers will never allow them to make an alliance, like in Italy. Yeah. Um, the people can get tired eh, as well and frightened and uh, so much repression, so much uh, time spent demonstrating that... Uh, and seeing, if, if seeing no out, change. Yeah, no change that it fizzles out. Uh, I think that's really open. Yeah. You mentioned Italy. I mean, that's one realistic scenario sometime during i mean macron's got three years left but there could be some kind of emergency election oh yeah and then the emergence of a kind of coalition like in italy because something i'm thinking is something has to yield in the yeah. absence of like you say the whole thing petering out somehow if it doesn't you're right if it doesn't peter out they're gonna give a throw a bone to the the dog you know in french we say uh, when the dog has seen the piece of meat, you throw a bone in the other direction. The dog has seen the meat. That's true. Now, they're going to throw a bone if it doesn't peter out. Throwing a bone, the worst for them will be an alliance between extreme right and extreme left, which is totally in opposition with the globalist ideology. It means a social nationalist regime. <laughs> That's a word, eh? Uh -huh. uh, sorry about that. Uh, I'm not talking about anti-Semitism, about Hitler and all that, but it's that so socialism concerning the labor yeah. and nationalism concerning the, the moral, the identity. Okay, yeah. The best of the left, socialism for the work, best of the right, nationalism, moral um, for the society, the model of society, the societal factor. Uh, that's the total negation. That's the opposite of the globalism. Yeah. Okay. So that is what they're going to avoid. That what they want to avoid. Yeah. So uh, I think they will attempt first an extreme left Mélenchon-like guy, a Marxist, uh, only addressing the social, the labor claims. Increase like in 1968. Yeah. You increase the wage, you uh, reduce the taxes. Allez, shut up and go back to work. Um, if it doesn't work, they could promote an extreme right, a pro-Zionist extreme right leader, like uh, what they call extreme right, uh, nationalists, uh, national Zionist, uh, like Marine Le Pen. She's not a big threat. Um, so there are many uh, kind of scenarios between a 
from zero compromise, we stick the to the Demacron uh, ultra liberal, ultra globalist uh, agenda to uh, Italian like uh, sacred sacred uh, union, sacred uh, yeah. yeah alliance between uh, the best of the right and best, uh, best of the left. Okay. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Um, in the meantime, it's just remarkable to me how yeah. persistent this has been. But given the, the history of globalization and its impact on France that you explained, on the other hand, it's, it's not surprising that sooner or later things were going to come to a head like this. So we shall see and we'll hopefully discuss this again another time. Thank you, Pierre, for your insights. Thank you. Um, we'll leave it there for this week, folks. If you like this show, please like this video and don't forget to subscribe. In the meantime, see you next week. Au revoir.